Welcome 2015. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's okay to clap. It's okay to clap. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Something to be excited about, definitely. So as I was uh, preparing for this message over the past few weeks, I was thinking about 2015 and I thought, what will 2015 bring us? More terrorism? More battles with racism? More diagnosis from the doctor? Uncurable disease? And then I realized that I needed to switch my mindset. I needed to switch my focus. I needed to have my heart switched. And instead of asking 2015 what it would bring me, I needed to ask, what will I bring to 2015? Christ followers need to have this mindset that it's not what 2015 is going to bring to us. But because of what we have, but because of what is within us, what are we going to bring to 2015? What are we going to bring to others in 2015? My question to you today is, in my brain of thought, is what if we commit to bringing fascination to 2015? What if we commit to bringing this irresistible, raw fascination for Jesus Christ to 2015? What if everything that we did this year, even when we go to our jobs tomorrow, this afternoon, when you work that swing shift, what if your intention is to bring the fascination of Jesus wherever you go and what you do? See, we, we all understand that, that journeying with Jesus is exactly that. It's, it's a journey. And a journey is always full of ups and downs, twists and turns, surprises. No matter how much we want to plan, there's always going to be a, a moment where something surprises us, catches us off guard, which means we're going to have victories, and we're going to have troubles. We're going to have struggles. The, there's going to be moments where we deal with things that we question and because we're looking for answers, where it becomes routine for us, where we just go through the mundane of life day in and day out, where it's easy to lose that fascination for Jesus because we're in routine. But what if this is the year? What if this is the year of 2015 where we commit back to Jesus and we say, I'm not going to ask 2015 what it has to offer because the reality is 2015 doesn't have anything to offer us. That's just a bag of lies that we spend time sifting through, wasting our time with. 2015 has nothing to offer us. The only one that has something to offer us is Jesus. And if we're the ones carrying him, then that means we have something to offer everyone this year. And what if we decided to make a change to offer a fascinated heart for Jesus? See, there's only one way. There's only one way to a fascinated heart. And we're going to talk about that today because the only way to gain a fascinated heart, the only way to protect a fascinated heart for Jesus is through biblical fasting. Now, I'm going to be very unspiritual with you for a moment, if that's okay. <clears throat> I hate fasting. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to try and ham it up. No pun intended. But I just don't like it because it hurts and it's painful 
okay? And I would love to romanticize it. I would love to stand here this morning and be like, when you just enter into this fast with Jesus, it's like just so beautiful. And then he just like holds you and he's just Jesus. It's more like, God, just please like, you know, tell me when to end this thing because you know, I just need food. <laughs> but that's, that's a lot of times what it's like for me. But there is a reason for fasting because we need to protect. We need to regain this fascination for the heart of Jesus. Because it's so easy to lose that in the midst of everything else that's going on around us. It's easy to lose our fascination for Jesus in the midst of our families, trying to raise children, trying to cultivate a marriage. It's easy to lose our fascination for Jesus by going to work every day, attending a job, doing something that you don't like, but you're there because God keeps you there. It's easy for us to lose fascination, even in the midst of battling sickness or disease or illness, or even just trying to find out where our hope or our purpose is. It's so easy to lose that fascination. And we need something. We need something to bring us back to that fascination. We need something to stir our hearts, to act as a catalyst, to push us in that direction, back to where our hearts either one, gain fascination that we never had before with Jesus, or two, restore that fascination that was once lost for him. Tomorrow, we're actually going to begin a seven-day corporate fast. We've been announcing that in our bulletin. We've been discussing it a little bit. And normally, we've been in this series right now, uh, The Essential Jesus Challenge. And what we're doing is we're just taking a break for a week from that. And that's okay. And so if you, you haven't caught up uh, in the readings, then this is your time to catch up on those readings. Maybe you haven't gotten a book. Now's the time to get the book. Uh, but we're taking this next seven days as leadership and as a corporate body, and we're encouraging you to join us for the next seven days as we choose to give up some meals to focus on the intimacy of Jesus Christ. Now, you can use whatever resources you would like. Okay, you can use your Essential Jesus book, go back and review some of those things because it's all about the intimacy of Jesus or whatever it may be, but we're encouraging you to join with us corporately as we choose to fast. Fasting is, is simply a physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, it's an everything declaration that we're willing to give up food for a period of time, that we're willing to give up that which is critical to us, right? I mean, how many of us eat to live versus live to eat, right? <laughs> and so what we're doing is in fasting is we're declaring to God saying, look, I'm giving up what matters most to me, what, I, what sustains me on a regular basis. I'm giving that up to declare to you that I'm putting all of my strength in you that I'm going to trust you with my health and I'm going to trust you with my life and I'm going to trust you with my circumstances. And it, what it begins to do is it begins to take away all the clutter, all the busyness, all the noise of life, and it begins to slow things down so that we can actually begin to hear God with more clarity. Something you'll notice, I've noticed this too, that when I fast, it gets a lot more quiet. I watch less TV, I go out to less dinners, I go out to less lunches, breakfasts, all those things. And I notice that the only thing that's there that's left is me and Jesus. 
And it's funny that that's his intention for us. And so we're encouraging you for the next seven days, join us in this seven-day corporate fast. And, and I'm going to break this down as we go through this this morning. I'm going to break it down about uh, this whole thing of fasting and, and what you can expect and what it's going to be like. But let's go back to that fascinated heart for a moment. And how do we get that fascinated heart through fasting? See, a, a fascinated heart is a heart that is set. When, when you have a fascinated heart for Jesus, it's set. It's, it's in this place where it's immovable, like no one is going to come and take it. People might try to shake your heart. The enemy might try to stir your heart and shake it and pull you. But a fascinated heart for Jesus is set. It's a heart that's worth battling over for. A fascinated heart is a heart that is focused. It has an aim. It has a target. And no matter what, your heart will not deviate from that target, that where you have set it, and it's on Jesus. A fascinated heart is a heart that has to be fought for. And that's what fasting is about. Fasting is about fighting spiritually to either gain a fascination for Jesus or to keep that fascination for Jesus, but increase it. See, fasting is a, is a spiritual war. It's a fight. It's a battle. Like I said, I wish I could romanticize it for you and all these things, but, and, and understand me, yes, there, there's not really much romance to it, but let me tell you what, when Jesus grabs a hold of your heart in the midst of those moments where you're fasting, something romantic does happen. He begins to, to woo your heart. He begins to fascinate your heart. And you can't resist him anymore. And then there's those areas of your heart that you have resisted him with. And your heart becomes so softened that, that you're just like, okay, Jesus, here you go. Where you were once afraid, you're now bold. Where you're hesitant, you're now more willing. And that's what fighting for it is. And, and let me tell you what, fasting is worth the battle. It's worth the fight. It's, it's worth the ache of your body. It's, it's worth giving up that McDonald's. It's worth giving up that vice of those Doritos that you, you indulge in. It's, it's worth giving up those meals in the end because the end result is what's the best part of it all. The more and more as we see the closer return of Jesus, the easier it is, is for our hearts to be fascinated by everything else but Jesus. Think about it now. We're, we're just overwhelmed with so much avenue of temptation, right? It's everywhere we go. It's so accessible. And I could spend all morning list, listening, listing every temptation one after another that's available to each and every one of us because there's a contending that's going on. There's a contending for our hearts. And it's easy to be fascinated by titles. It's easy to be fascinated by a better pay grade. It's easy to be fascinated by what's going on with social media. It's, it's better to be fascinated by status of relationship and, and who you're hanging out with and who's who and so on and so forth. That's just to name a few because there is this contending battle that's going on for our hearts. And the closer we get to the return of Christ, that fascination 
to be fascinated by other things that are not of God is only going to increase more. And the only way we can overcome that fascination is to return to that place where our hearts are fascinated solely by Jesus, where we have a heart that is set. And the only way we can have a set heart is through biblical fasting. Now, I'm sure you're wondering, well, well what about worship? What, what about prayer? What, what about the word of God? I mean, shouldn't that bring you to a fascinated heart with Jesus? Absolutely. But there's something about fasting that takes us beyond our comfort zone and pushes us past the limit of comfortable sacrifice. Let that set in a minute. Comfortable sacrifice. Is it possible? I think so. Think about it. Let's be real a moment. We do our devotions, right? Comfortable sacrifice. Nothing wrong with a devotional. Nothing wrong with, with opening up that devotional and reading that, that one little strip of scripture and, and then reading the commentary on that little devotional. And, and then we shut and we're like, yay, Jesus, thank you. You're so cool. Great. I'll see you tomorrow at the same time. And then good, I can get on with my day and do my to-do list. Comfortable sacrifice. Comfortable sacrifice. I'm sorry to impose, but my prayer time's on my way to work in the morning. I just get my little coffee at Starbucks and I drive to work and I pray to Jesus and I make sure I put on the worship music. And just me and Jesus have our Jesus time. Comfortable sacrifice. What about, what about, what about you get up a little bit earlier where you can really focus in on Jesus? What if you sacrifice a little bit of your sleep and get up a little bit earlier and, and just give one thing to Jesus, which is your heart? What if you just say, my heart is set and I'm going to discipline myself to go to bed a little bit earlier the next night so I can wake up in the morning and give you the fullness of my attention instead of giving you a little bit here at the green, at the red light. And then when I go, I, I text a little bit in between and, and then don't worry, I'm at the stop sign. So I'll, I'll pray about that matter then. And, and, and when I get to the parking lot, I'm good. I'm, I'm 10 minutes before work. So I'll just sit in my car and finish out my prayer time. What if we move beyond that comfortable sacrifice? What if we come to this place where our hearts are so fascinated with Jesus that we're saying, you know what, I'm willing to go to that place beyond being comfortable anymore because I just want Jesus. And I'm willing to sacrifice the most comfortable thing to me. Now, please understand, I know I'm talking about food. And some of you in this place, you have medical reasons that you can't, you know, you can't give up food. I completely understand that. I respect that. The ultimate thing here, though, is above this, that it may not be food, because even if you have medical conditions and you have to have food, I completely understand that. But there's other things that you can give up. There's other things that you can fast. There's other things that are closer to your heart right now that you can be willing to give up and fast just so you can move it out of the way so you can bring Jesus in closer to your heart. And that's going to be between you and him. So when I talk about fasting in general church, that means everybody can do it, every one of us, and we have no excuse. But fasting enhances our ability to receive so much from Jesus, understanding, wisdom, direction, power, all of these things that we need. And with obedience, 
It brings us to this place of obedience. And with obedience, I'm a firm believer that with obedience always comes blessing. And one of the blessings that comes when we are obedient to fast is simply this. Jesus is our reward. Jesus is our reward. Think about this. In the case of biblical fasting, when we fast, it's not the outcome. Isn't it easy to do that? Why are you fasting? Well, I'm fasting because of this particular situation. I need to see God move. Or I'm fasting because, and you fill in the blank. Nothing wrong with that. We see that through scripture. But when was the last time that we fasted without a motivation? And just simply our heart was to say, Jesus, I need to be fascinated by you again. I need you to be my reward. I don't care about the outcome. I don't care about whatever tangible blessing you bring. I need you to be my primary reward in this fast. I need to gain that fascination back with you. Or maybe you're sitting here saying, I've never fasted. I can say I've never been fascinated by the heart of Jesus. That's okay. And you can simply come to Jesus and say, I want to be fascinated by you. I want my heart to be captured. I want to have this raw, irresistible understanding of, of who you are and counter you. And it can still be done. It's a fascinated heart that reaps the reward of Jesus Christ. I want you to join with me this morning as we look at several different scriptures in several different places. As we look at this understanding of fasting. And having this fascinated heart of Jesus, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 1, it says this, At the time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps the bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they, became, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others came also. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you don't know the day or the hour. So we have this parable of, of the ten virgins, some five foolish, five wise. Some of you smart Alex, quit looking around trying to find the foolish in here, okay? But anyway, five wise, five foolish, and this is talking about believers in Jesus. So let me just talk to those of you for a moment who are Christ followers in this place. That means that simply if you have accepted Jesus in your heart, that you have confessed with your mouth and you believed in your heart, and you have taken a stand of repentance, meaning you've went this way, but you've turned from your sin and chosen to go this way to make Jesus Lord of your life, then you're a Christ follower. You've accepted Jesus as your personal savior. 
So we're going to take a break for a moment. I'm going to speak directly to you. So in this parable, we have five wise, five foolish, and Jesus is talking about 10 Christ followers altogether. And Jesus comes to them and he says, there were five, all 10 of them had lamps. These lamps representing ministry. They had these kingdom ministries, these lamps that they had available. And they had this oil, this oil representing the intimacy that they had with the bridegroom being Jesus. Jesus is the bridegroom. Word tells us that eventually one day Jesus will come back for his bride and he is the bridegroom. And there's only one bridegroom. And so we have these lamps, these ministries that we oversee and that we take care of and that we nurture. And then we have this oil, this oil of intimacy that, that is birthed, that is taken and worked at through fascinated heart with Jesus that, that burns, that enables our ministries to burn consistently and constantly. And there's this warning that goes out and says, you better be prepared for the bridegroom because we don't know the day or the hour when the bridegroom is going to return for his bride. And we see this saga begin to unfold in the scripture. And what happens is, is the five wise, they are constantly making sure that their oil is full, that that oil of intimacy is at that constant place where it is constantly full for the bridegroom for when he comes. And we see the five foolish that in that moment, the oil has no longer become primary, but it's become secondary. See, you can have a lamp and not have any oil in it, but that doesn't mean it's going to burn. It's not going to last. And so we have these five foolish who, who have these five lamps, but they don't have enough oil. And, and instead of preparing and instead of taking that time to invest and making sure that that oil was full and ready to go, they neglected it. It became secondary and they focused on other things and it says that when the bridegroom came, that the five foolish ran to the five wise and said, give me some of that intimacy. Give me some of that intimacy that, that you have with Jesus. And the five wise looked at them and said, no. No, because we might not have enough. And we've prepared. We've sacrificed. We have made our intimacy with Jesus our primary reward. It has become our number one priority against everything else. Church, let me say this. Our intimacy with Jesus personally is not transferable to others. And if we think that we can ride on the coattails of somebody else's intimacy and somebody else's prayers into the kingdom of heaven, it's not going to happen. Intimacy between us and the bridegroom Jesus is only obtained between us and him. If we are here in this place and we have become satisfied with dipping into other people's oil, we need to stop. And we need to come to this place where we simply come to Jesus and say, I'm willing to make the sacrifice now. I'm willing to give up those, those secondary things that I have put in place as primary and I'm willing to take back the primary and I'm willing to focus on you and, and develop that place where I have this fascinated heart for you. See, understand, I'm not against Bible studies. I'm, I'm not against ministries in the church or anything like that. But you know what? I tell you what, I don't fly with it when it becomes priority number one and Jesus takes a back seat to priority number two. 
I can't support that. Jesus calls us to this place and he says, come back to me, bring, bring yourself back to me and let me become priority number one. Don't become fascinated by how wonderful your business is growing and not, and not have God as primary number one because primary number one is the only result as to why primary number two is actually growing. Don't fool yourself. The only reason you're a fantastic businessman or businesswoman is because of primary number one, Jesus. Take him out of the equation. All you're going to have is an empty lamp and nothing to burn. Jesus is our primary reward. He gives us this invitation to come deeper into him, to this place where when we fast, we begin to to shut everything else out. Everything else slows down. All the noise, all the confusion, everything else that pulls at us constantly 24-7. And that intimacy that we cultivate with him through fasting begins to tenderize our hearts. It begins to soften our hearts. Our hearts become hard when we're prideful. When we begin to do things in our own strength and and when we begin to get cocky in the Lord and we say, well, you know, I prayed yesterday, so I'm okay. I don't need that intimacy with him. And, and, you know, I read my Bible a few days ago and I I really don't need the word of God right now. I I mean, I know it. I can just recite it if needed. And, And slowly we don't realize that our hearts begin to harden over time because we're missing that intimacy that tenderizes our hearts. When we don't fast and we don't bring that place of sacrifice, we become fascinated by titles and power, entitlement. I could go on and on and on, materialism, money. But when we choose to have a fascinated heart for Jesus and we fast and we sacrifice, it begins to clear out all those things and those things that have crept into that spot where it's now primary and Jesus has become secondary. Fasting reinstates that fascination for Jesus. And it causes us to put those other things to that secondary position. So now, in that moment, I talk to those who are Christ followers. Now, those of you who are not Christ followers, I'm coming to talk to you now, so... I got to even this out a little bit so we all understand. And I say this to you in love and I say this to you in grace and mercy because I totally understand where you've been because I've been (laughs) in the same spot before I knew Jesus. But understand this, there is a kingdom of heaven and there is a kingdom of darkness. That means there is God and there is Satan and there's a battle going on constantly for you. There's a constant battle going on for your soul. See, the world, the culture will tell you that, that you're going to die one day, and that's, that's truth, that's fact. This is temporary, right? The world tells us that we're going to die one day, and we're going to go six feet under or, or more. And, and a lot of times, the world throws around that, that slang, right? Hey, we're going to have a party in hell. Hey, I'll see you in hell, man. Hey, it's going to be awesome. Woo, you bring the beer. Woo, you know. And we have this fantasized idea of what life after death is going to be that the culture just feeds us. It's fed out of fear. 
fed out of fear. Fear of the unknown. Fear of the reality of what if heaven is real and what if hell is real. And I'm here to tell you today that there is a real heaven and there is a real hell. And here's the thing, there is a battle for your soul. There's a battle for the fascination of your heart. And the enemy comes to steal the fascination for Jesus. The enemy is at your door and he wants to fascinate you with everything that you can get right now. Everything that you can get right now is right at your fingertips. You want fame? The enemy will fascinate you with fame. You want money? The enemy will fascinate you with money. You, you, want, you want an awesome relationship that you've just been longing for? The enemy will fascinate you with that relationship. The enemy will give you whatever you want, but there's a price to it. And it's simply this. Eventually, the fascination will wear off and you will be left with one destination and that is hell. But this fascination that Jesus has This fascination that Jesus wants to offer you is a fascination that will never wear off. It'll never end because he loves you. And his goal, his agenda, yeah, you can say God has an agenda. You can say it, let's lay it out there. Yeah, God has an agenda and it's an agenda of love. I don't know if you really wanna argue that. God has this agenda of love for mankind that he doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone to suffer. And so if you're in this place and you don't know Jesus, God simply has an agenda for you and it's to love you and to make sure that you spend the rest of eternity with him. That's what he wants for you. And all those things that fascinate you right now will eventually come to an end. But the fascination for Jesus, the fascination of his heart for you, and in return, the fascination that he wants to give you that you can be fascinated with him will never end. Now, let me talk to everybody. We have to be careful because we're becoming more and more fascinated with everything else in the name of Jesus, except Jesus. Church, we got to be careful. We have to be able to discern. What is it that we have become so fascinated with in the name of Jesus, but yet Jesus is not present? Only you can answer that. At the end of the day, at the end of the earth, at the end of time, all that will be left is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's it. That's it. Not how great our businesses went. Not how great our Bible studies were. Not how well attended our church services were. That'll all come to pass. But the only thing at the end of the day, at the end of eternity, at the end of time that will be left is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And where is our fascination for them? When our hearts are fascinated with Jesus, we then have this capacity to receive. Fasting brings this reality of heaven to us. I mentioned earlier that it, that it clears out all the noise, that, that it gives us more time than what we normally would have. Something I realize that when I take time to fast and I take time to pray, it seems as though time slows down. And I think to myself, gosh, what am I normally doing when I'm not fasting? And then I realize I'm usually stuffing my face. <laughs> I'm usually stuffing my face with stuff, so that takes up my time because I'm focused on myself. 
And so then I realized that like when I give up those moments and I'm not stuffing my face, I realized that, oh, wow, like time just totally slowed down. And now it's me and Jesus. And now I begin to hear Jesus a little bit more clear. And when I read the word and I open up the word and I begin to, to digest the word, I begin to eat the word, not physically, but just begin to eat the word and, and think on it. I begin to see it differently. I begin to grasp things differently. We begin to see and understand things the way God sees and understands them. It slows us down. It gives us this capacity to receive understanding of of God's compassion for us and his grace and to understand repentance. We don't talk a lot too much about the R word, repentance. A lot of times we fly by it when we're talking about it. Yeah, yeah, I repented, I repented of that, and, and then we continue on our conversation. But let's, let's break that down. I want us to look at Joel chapter 2. In the context of fasting, Joel chapter 2, verses uh, 12 through 13. This is what it says. Even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. We could like spend all week on these two verses, but we obviously don't have that much time. But see, fasting here, Joel, Joel is just breaking this down. Fasting is about leaning into Jesus. It's about leaning into him. It's about getting up close to him. It is this action where we lean close to Jesus so that we can receive, we have this capacity to now receive the reality that he has for us. What he says here is he says, I want you, I want you to come close to me while you fast. Because while you're fasting, you're going to get close to me. And as you get close to me, I'm going to invite you to lean into me. And it's almost this picture as like a little child embracing on the chest of a parent in a place of security. See, it's not, it's not this place of like fear and trembling. It's, it's not this where you crawl, you know, out of fear to the feet of God. He's saying to us, no, 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 no. When you fast, I'm going to give you this capacity to get close to me. And you're going to be secure. And you're going to rest against my chest And I'm going to talk to you about the power of my compassion. And I'm going to talk to you about the importance and the power of repentance. Because he says that he's slow to bring about this calamity. And and Joel uses this terminology, he uses this word rend. And I love that word, rend. And, And Joel says, rend your hearts, not your garments. Rend your heart, not your clothes. And that word rend actually means to tear into pieces. To tear into pieces with great violence. And, and Joel's saying, he's like, look, don't, don't rip your clothes. Because back then, the Hebrew custom was, was to rip your clothes, to, to declare. It was if a priest ripped his robe, he was then no longer allowed to be a, pro, a, a priest because it was abomination. 
Joel says, don't, don't waste your time rendering, rending your clothes, rend your hearts, tear open your hearts, rip your heart into pieces before the Lord, lay it all out before him, give it all to him. Because what he's saying to, to us is saying, listen, when you fast, your heart is going to become weak, but weak in a good way. And when our hearts become weak, they cannot longer be stable in their own strength. And it, he says, now tear it apart into pieces. Rip it apart before me and allow me, being God, allow me to do what I want inside you. Experience my compassion now. Experience my repentance. If you study the understanding of Hebraic repentance, the Jews have this pictorial understanding. And when they repent, it's, it's not just this verbal repentance. It's, it's not just this prayer of, God, I repent for, and then you fill in the blank. It is this pictorial understanding of the mind connects to the heart. And the heart says, yes, I realize what I did wrong. And now I will turn from that way of wickedness that I was pursuing. And then the mind connects to the heart and the, and the heart says to the mind, things got to change now. You can't do what you were doing before. You have to physically leave that. And they understand that there is this, this action, this extreme action that needs to be taken, that they run, they go, they get away from it. And Jesus brings it up parallel. He brings it up in the gospels and he says, listen, if your, your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, Jesus, I was totally following you. I'm, I'm good on the, the love thing, the grace thing. Like, you know, just love your parables. Time out. I'm not about to pluck out my eyes, cut off my hands. Like, whoo, a little too extreme for me. Okay, relax. Jesus was not giving this definition to go and do that. What he was saying is he says, listen, if this causes you to sin, repent of it and take extreme measure and take extreme measure and go the opposite way. Do what you need to do to get away from it. And when we fast, Jesus brings us in close to him. He says, now experience my compassion. And let me talk to you about repentance. And we walk away with this ability, this capacity to receive from the Lord. Not only is Jesus our reward and fasting gives us this capacity to receive, but once we have what is needed, we must respond to our call to action. There's a difference between talking about fasting and doing it. It goes along with anything. There's a difference between talking about praying and doing it reading the word and doing it. It's an action step. And we can talk till we're blue in the face about fasting. We can have all the facts about fasting. We can have all the scripture about fasting. We can have all the pros and the cons that it does to you physically about fasting. But there is a difference from talking about it to doing it. Fasting is a lifestyle of action. It has to be done. 
It has to be done. Yeah, sure, I know. Jesus doesn't command us. It's not a commandment. I know. Jesus also tells the disciples of John when they came to, to Jesus, they said, you know, Rabbi, teacher, Jesus, why, uh, paraphrasing here, but just follow me. He's looking up for yourself. Anyway, <laughs> Jesus says, look, they say, why, why aren't your disciples fasting? And Jesus says, there's going to come a point where they're going to mourn. Their hearts are going to mourn. Their hearts are going to ache for the one who's missing. Then they'll fast. Then they'll fast. Because their hearts will be fascinated for Jesus. And Jesus won't have to command them to fast. They'll have this desire to fast because they want more of him. We need to understand that it's not the fast that creates the shift. But it's the shift in heaven that creates the move to fast. Let me, let me repeat that. It's not the fast that causes the shift. But it's the move in heaven, the shift that causes our hearts to fast. Do you ever get that moment, if you've ever fasted before? You have no intention of fasting. You have no intention to, to give up a few days or whatever it is that, that you would normally do. And maybe you're watching a Sunday football game and, you know, you're just drowning yourself in nachos and cheese and, you know, and all of a sudden you have this inner aching within you. It comes up and, and you're not regurgitating what you just ate. This is spiritual people. Um, but you, you just have this inner aching that all of a sudden you're like, I need to fast. I need to fast. Like, I need to fast tomorrow. And all of a sudden you have this business mentality that you need to fast. It needs to get done. You don't know why, but you just need to do it. And you wake up and you fast. It's not because God is calling you to fast to create a shift. It's because there's a shift happening in heaven. God is doing something and he needs you. He's asking for you to team up with him to see it come through. It's kind of like a glass of water. If I had a glass of water up here today or a pitcher of water and it was filled up and maybe there was about an inch to two inches left on the top. And if I add about another inch to two inches of water, it's going to what? Overflow, right? In the same way, when we fast, when we fast as a community of faith, when we fast as individuals, it's like a glass of water in heaven where God says, look, I, we're almost there. We're almost there. Now let's call on some people. Let's recruit some followers of Christ to fast and see this thing through. And as we begin to fast, that water level begins to increase until it overflows. I'll never forget, I was talking with a friend of mine just a few days ago, and we were talking about the subject of fasting. And I say this with humility. I don't say this in bragging. I'm making a point. But several years ago, the Lord had called me and said, I want you to fast for 40 days. My first response was very unholy, and it was simply like, yeah, right. Sure thing, Jesus. Like, that ain't going to happen. And then I started like trying to figure it out. Well, I'll fast breakfast for 40 days, you know. Uh, or, or I'll fast lunch for 40 days, God. You know, I, I, I tried to, to do that, you know, delayed obedience thing. And it just didn't work out. And so the Lord called me to fast for 40 days. 
And over the course before, and I knew when I needed to start, I knew when I needed to start, and that day was approaching. It was an early Sunday morning around 3, 3.30 in the morning. And I woke up in the middle of the night, and I went into the bathroom, and I just couldn't sleep. And I washed my face with water, and I'm just like, you know, I'm going to go back to bed. I'm determined to go back to bed. And all of a sudden, I hear the Lord say to me, I have given you the grace to fast these 40 days. Now go and do it. Clear as day. I woke up the next morning, said, that's it. I'm going to fast. I really expected that I wouldn't last. But it was by his grace that I lasted. Because there was that unction, that call to action. Because God was doing something in heaven that he wanted me to partner with him on. And 40 days was needed. What is God calling you to action? In these next seven days, what is the action that God is calling you to? To fast. Maybe seven days to regain a fascinated heart with him. Maybe seven days to fast, to gain a fascinated heart with him. Maybe it's two, three, one, whatever. Maybe it's 21. I don't know, but that's between you and Jesus. But let's stop talking about it and let's do it. We'll finish up here with Luke chapter, tw- Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 27. It says this, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple, temple courts and when the parents brought in the child Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required. Then Luke 2, 36 through 37 says, there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Now, let me finish with this. The Lord is calling out to the Simeons and the Annas of this community of faith. The Lord is calling out to the Simeons and Annas of this community of faith. See, Simeon was a mature saint. He was a man of God who gave himself to prayer and fasting. He led an example to those who would come after him. And he called out and he would pray and fast for revival. He would pray and fast for the manifestation of God to come, which was the son of God. And then there was Anna, this prophet who dedicated herself to remaining in the temple night and day, praying and fasting till she saw the manifestation of Jesus. What I'm calling out to you is is that God wants to reinstate those of you. He wants to return you to your place. There's Annas and there's Simeons all across this community of faith. You're an older generation. God wants to call you to action. We need you to demonstrate for us what it means to pray. We need you to demonstrate to us what it means to fast, what it means to be fascinated by the Lord. 
We need you. We need you. And maybe you say, but I'm not an old mature saint like Simeon or, or Anna, but you know what? I'm willing. I'm willing. Yeah, we need you. We need you. You're still a Simeon. You're still an Anna. We need you. Fasting is a physical call to action. And God is calling us to a place of fasting. Not just once a year, not just every so often. But he calls all Christ followers to a lifestyle of fasting so that our hearts can be fascinated by Jesus. And when we do this, we'll see things happen like never before. And we'll truly be fascinated by his heart. Let's stand. Father, this morning, we continuously stand in awe of you just because of who you are. Because you are God. And Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of the scriptures, its truth, and how it penetrates our hearts. Father, we thank you that it is a privilege to fast so that we can be romanced, so that our hearts can be fascinated by Jesus. And Father, as we embark in the next seven days as a body to fast, may our hearts, may our hearts truly be rendered before you. Father, may we truly grasp what it means to have a fascinated heart for you. For those of us, God, who may not have a fascinated heart, may we gain one as we attempt and seek to fast. Now, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus a grace, a perseverance, and an endurance on this body to be able to engage in a biblical fast that you call them to. And Father, that they will engage in a lifestyle of fasting that they have never known and that it will accelerate their relationship with you and what they have ever encountered. And may you be our primary reward. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Enjoy your week.